the second the second lesson is from Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 and it can be found on page 1007 of your pew bibles the birth of Jesus Christ this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly but after he had considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us when Je Joseph woke up he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus well, Merry Christmas it's Christmas tomorrow already so we can say that's Merry Christmas well this year's gone fast hasn't it next year uh, next week in fact is the last day of the year ready and in fact uh, just another announcement next Sunday evening after our evening service uh, we'll actually do something different because it lands on Christmas I mean New Year's Eve uh, we'll have dinner games and also a time of Thanksgiving if you want to come along and if you're game enough we're going to hang around for the fireworks so we can see the fireworks from Canterbury Road some of us young people are game enough for that so join us for that if you're interested uh, but we're going to have a look at this passage a very familiar passage, but let's uh, ask God again that he might help us understand the wonder of this message. Let's, let's pray to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Christmas message. Help us to marvel once again at the great wonder of what you did in sending your Son who came that God might be with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas is something we get to enjoy year after year after year after year. And we've all had as many Christmas as the number of years we've been alive. And so what that means is that most of us are very familiar with what Christmas is about. And I suspect we all know the story inside out, back to front. But what is it that comes to your mind when we talk about the Christmas story? You see, for many people, what comes to mind is the nativity scene, or it's the carols. And unfortunately, for many people, that's the whole extent of our understanding of Christmas. But have you actually wondered whether it's all true? What we know from the nativity scene, what we sing about in our carols, did it all happen that way? Because if our understanding of Christmas comes only from that, not only is it a mistaken nativity, but it's also a mistaken Christmas. 
In fact, a lot of the things we just take as fact that we believe to be true, in fact, did not happen that way. For example, let me give you a few. Put your hands up if you think that in the Christmas story, what happened was Mary travelled to Bethlehem on a donkey with Joseph. Who believes that? Mary went to Bethlehem on a donkey? We sing about it, don't we? You know, we, we have the pictures and we sing about it. Now, I won't sing, so I won't hurt your eardrums, but little donkey, little donkey on a dusty road, got to keep on moving onwards with your precious load. We sing about it. But did you know, in the Christmas story in the Bible, there was never a mention of a donkey at all? No mention at all. They may have travelled on a donkey, they may have travelled on a horse, or a camel, or an elephant, or a monkey, for all we care, we just don't know. And it doesn't matter. Or how many people here think that what happened was that there was no room in the inn, all the motels in Bethlehem was booked out, and so poor Mary and Joseph had to settle for a stable. Now how many of us believe that? No room in the inn, no motels left in Bethlehem, and so they had to settle in a stable. Well, that's the nativity scene, isn't it? And we sing about it as well. Mary's boy child, there's the Christmas story. Now, Joseph and his wife Mary came to Bethlehem that night. They found no place to bear her child. Not a single room was in sight. And then they found a little nook in a stable, all forlorn. And in a manger, cold and dark, Mary's little boy was born. We sing about it. That's the nativity scene. We believe that that was what, was, what happened. But you see, in a Christmas story in the Bible, in Luke's account, what we read is this. And all we know is this. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so we just take it to be that there were no more inns left. All the hotels and motels were booked out in Bethlehem. But you see, the word translated in, the word translated in is a source of confusion. It's more properly translated as the lodging place or the guest room of a house. You see, if the author, the gospel author, Luke, if he meant in as in an inn for travellers, there's a more precise Greek word for that. And that's not what he used in the Christmas story. He used it later on in his gospel. He used it when he, he, he uh, wrote down the story of the Good Samaritan who uh, cared for that injured person and took that person to an inn. That was where the Greek word was used. But here, the word used is lodging place or guest room. And so what happened was that in the Christmas story, it wasn't that all the inns were booked out. It was the guest room of the house that was unavailable. Not every inn in the town of Bethlehem, like what we sing about. But something we may not realise was that the culture back then is vastly different to ours. You see, if Joseph was a descendant of David, he would not only have many extended families to call upon to stay with, like we would if we travel, but many would have offered and wanted to offer help, offer hospitality, because he was from the line of David. I mean, that's how the culture worked, extremely hospitable, especially to family. And even today, many uh, Middle Eastern uh, cultures and even the Eastern culture, they still work that way, still very hospitable, especially to family. Uh, years ago, I experienced such hospitality. 
part of my engineering studies, I did a three months work experience in Hanover in Germany. And when I was looking for somewhere to stay, my auntie here in Melbourne, she caught up a distant relative, an in-laws family member, and asked whether I could stay with them. Now, what convinced them to allow me to stay with them for three months was that we shared the same surname. That's how hospitable they are to family. Just because we share, never met them before, don't know them, we share the same surname, and so they allowed me to stay with them for three months. I mean, it was great living in Germany, German sausages, wonderful, but staying with this Chinese family, I still got Chinese food. But you see, for Joseph, it was no different. It's a different culture. So rather than no inn left in the town, there was no guest room left in the house, and most likely the house of a relative, of a family member. And so what does that mean? Well, rather than being kicked out to, to stay, well, we've got a stable in the back or a shed, you can stay there. No, rather than that, what was left was the lower floor of the house, one in which they would keep the animals, one in which family members would also stay. But now let's just imagine the day of the birth. Mary was in labour. Do you think they would have brought the animals in that night while Mary's in labour so that the cows and sheep can moo and bleat and watch the labour? Of course not. They would have cleared the room, made it clean so that Mary could give birth to her child. But of course, we sing about these animals, but in the Bible's account of Christmas, there's no mention of animals at all. And so rather than two lonely parents and Joseph needing to deliver Jesus himself, imagine that for any father, there were most likely many extended female family members there assisting in the birth. And so it wasn't a stable, and whether there were animals or not, we don't know, and it actually doesn't matter. But they were still humble beginnings for Jesus. Or here's another one. How many think that it was a silent night Jesus was born? Anyone? We sing about it, don't we? Silent night, or we sing about it also in a way in a manger. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, do you know what type of baby does not cry? A, a plastic one. Plastic babies don't cry. How silent that night would have been, we actually don't know. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if Mary was given birth that night or that day, we don't know, it wouldn't have been silent. Or, here's another one. How many think that the three kings from the east arrived that night? I mean, that completes the nativity scene, doesn't it? We sing about it. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Well, firstly, we don't know that there were three. There could have been more. There could have been less. We settle for three because there were three gifts. And what were they? Gold, myrrh, and Frankenstein. Frankincense, yes. <laughs> well, secondly, we know that they weren't kings, in fact. They were magi or wise men or astrologers. And third, they certainly did not arrive on the night of the birth, but they came much later. By the time they came, Jesus was already a toddler, perhaps one or two years old. They arrived at a house and saw a child, not an infant. And that's why when they met King Herod, King Herod had ordered baby boys under two killed. So the Magi did not arrive on the night of the birth. And so do you see, we're so familiar with Christmas, with the Christmas story. But it's so easy to mistake in that story. 
Now, hopefully I haven't destroyed your Christmas. Maybe I've destroyed your nativity scene. You can smash it, burn it, whatever you want. But what is Christmas about? Well, if it's not about fluffy, cute animals bleating and mooing, while a young mother is trying to give birth on a silent night to a baby who doesn't cry, what is Christmas about? Well, Christmas is not just a cute nativity, and it's most certainly not just a story. It is about the monumental arrival, and it is about the momentous news of that arrival. So what was the monumental arrival? Well, we all know that it is, or it was, the arrival of a baby, Jesus Christ. We place him in the centre of the nativity. But there's far more to just a special birth. You see, in our first reading from Isaiah, written about 2,700 years ago, this was a birth that was anticipated for centuries. I mean, for any parent waiting for a child to be born, that's nine months. But this was a wait for centuries. And it was no accident. But why was it so important? What was so special about that birth? Well, that birth was God's sign to this world that he has not abandoned this world. That birth was God's sign to this world that God will come to be with his people. You see, the promise was made during a dark time in Israel's history. It was during the time of King Ahaz of Judah. So this is in the Middle East. Just picture that. His world was a complete mess. In fact, it's still a bit of a mess today. There were fighting and there were wars. And he was being attacked from the north, from the south. And he himself, being the king of God's people, he was a wicked king. He was a terrible king. He would even sacrifice his own son to the fire. He was that bad. And so if you were living during that time, you can't trust anyone. You can't trust your leaders. You can't even trust your king. You're forced to only trust God and no one else. And that was what the promise was about. In that dark time, in those dark days, this promise was made. A promise about a miraculous birth, a child born from a virgin, one who would represent that God would come to be with us. During a dark, dark time, this light shone. See, the promise was made 2,700 years ago during the time of Ahaz. And we now know it was ultimately fulfilled at the first Christmas with the birth of Jesus. And so that's what we saw in our second reading. All this took place. It wasn't an abstract, random event in history, it took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so you see, the birth of Jesus was nothing less than a miracle. Born of Mary, which means he's human, just like us. Flesh, bones, blood and fingernails but conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means he's God. And so unlike us, supernatural, powerful, the creator of this universe. And so the birth was the birth of someone who is both human and divine. God and man. The son of God in the flesh. And so you see, Christmas, far from just a cute nativity scene, it's about this monumental arrival of the one who will be God with us the one where heaven and earth meets, the birth of someone who is both divine and human. Not a cute, nice nativity scene. It was staggering, earth-shattering, 
but not to be mistaken for a cute Christmas story. And so the Christmas story is this monumental arrival of one who is God with us, one who is called Emmanuel. But of course that also brings with, us, with it momentous news. God the Son has entered into his own creation, the creator into his own creation. God the Son has come in the flesh. Now when we hear of that, God with us, Emmanuel, we, we might just think, well, that's wonderful news. That's, that's good news, God coming to be with us. But let's think about that for a moment. If God were to come to be with us, is that good news or is that bad news? Is that news we should welcome with open arms or is that terrifying news if God were to come to be with us? Well, it depends, you see. When I was uh, five years old, when my father came home from work one day, he came home to discover that while he was away, I decided to take out the pencils and crayons and to redecorate his whole wall. It was a rental home. We, we were renting. I, I displayed my masterpiece. It was ugly, but it was my masterpiece. When my father came home, was that good news for me to discover that, or was that bad news? Well, let me see. As a five-year-old kid, that was terrifying news to hear the door open. And so, for King Ahaz during his time, for God to come, it is terrifying news. The coming of God to be with his people, it means judgment. And that was what King Ahaz and the people experienced. They were almost completely destroyed because of their wickedness, because of their sinful lives. And so God with us is bad news, if you think about it. It is bad news for humanity. It is terrifying news. And that's the case for all of us, for any of us, if we are confronted by God. I mean, just think about if God were to look upon this world, and he does, would he be pleased? Would God be happy with what he sees? I mean, this past week in Melbourne, a normal, innocent day, but how tragic, how horrific. I mean, would God look on what has happened and be pleased? I heard from my brother yesterday, he had to stay with one international student who was hit in that tragedy in ICU. Would God be pleased? Or last Sunday, do you know what happened? Last Sunday, there was a suicide bomber who entered into a church in Pakistan. Fifty people were killed. If God were to look on his world to be with us, would God be pleased? In Myanmar, churches have been destroyed by soldiers, let alone anyone else, soldiers. Who, they've killed women and many of them. For God to see that, would God be pleased? But now let's not just talk about the world out there. Let's, let's talk about us. If God were to look into each of our hearts, deep within, nothing hidden, would God be pleased with that? I mean, nothing in our past escapes God. None of our secret intentions can fool God. None of our deepest desires can get away from God. God sees everything. I mean, how we care for our neighbours, God sees how much we care. How we might harbour hatred and jealousy and envy and bitterness, God sees all that. How much we're unwilling to forgive. If God were to see, God sees all that. How much we, in fact, care for God. How much we love God, God sees all that. Would God be pleased? 
And so let's ask ourselves, if God is to come to be with us, is that good news or is that bad news? It's in fact terrifying news for humanity. Except that at Christmas, that baby born was also given another name. Did you notice that in the story? The angel appeared to Joseph and said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so that child was not just Emmanuel, God with us, which can be bad news, but that child was also named Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. And so he came not just to see our sin, but to deal with our sin, to forgive our sins, so that we can be restored to God. And so in Jesus, what could have been bad news and terrifying news becomes momentously good news, wonderful, glorious news. You see, Emmanuel, God with us, is, is wonderful, momentous news because Jesus is God for us. He came not just to be with us, but he came for us. And he came for us, we know, in the story of the gospel, by dying for, for us. From the wooden manger he arrived to the wooden cross he died to save us from our sins. And so what could have been bad news became wonderful, glorious news. I mean, it's almost impossible to try to just fathom that. The God of all creation would enter into his creation, not in judgment, but for us, to be with us and to be for us. I mean, that's far from what we get out from a cute nativity scene. It's hard to imagine that, but here's one attempt by Augustine, a 4th century theologian. I really like this. He's trying to capture the wonder of what happened. He said this, Man's maker was made man, that he ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. I mean, that should blow our minds. That's what Christmas is about. Not a cute little story of a nativity scene. That's what Jesus came to do. The source of life himself came and died so that we might have eternal life with God. And so at Christmas, that must be the focus. So easy to mistake Christmas for this cute, misguided, harmless nativity of silent plastic Jesus. But Christmas is as big as heaven and earth. Christmas is as important as life and death. It was the monumental arrival of Emmanuel, God with us, and it was the momentous news of Jesus, God for us. And so, how might this Christmas be different for you, knowing that? Now, of course, we might still set up our nativity scene however we wish, and we might still get it wrong. You know, animals are cute, kids love them, have stacks of them, and we might still keep it inside a stable. But each time we see one, we must be reminded of what we heard today, that that little scene can never contain 
the wonder, the glory, the marvel of Christmas. The child born is no one less than God in the flesh. God with us and God has come for us. And so however big your imagination of Christmas is, it's in fact far bigger than that. You see, Christmas is the answer to all of humanity's cries and longings for, for peace and lasting joy and hope. You see, we look around the world, just like what we saw this week, and you see a messed up, broken world. And we cry out, does God still care? I mean, many people will be crying that this week. Does God still care for us? We look around, there does not seem any mercy or compassion. Does God still care? Well, God answered that at Christmas. He does, and he came to be with us and for us. And when we ourselves feel pain and suffering and we cry out, does God still love us? Does God still love me out of the billions of people in the world? Why would God bother with me? Why would God care? How do we know? Well, God answered that at Christmas. He came to be with us. He came for us. Or when we're lonely and depressed and sad and just feel deserted. How do we know God still cares? He seems so far and distant. Well, he's not. He answered that at Christmas. He came near. He came to be with us and for us. That is who Jesus Christ is. You see, the baby born at Christmas is God's answer to humanity's cry and longing for help, for peace, for lasting joy and hope. And so this Christmas, what is it that comes to mind for you? Well, if you have yet to see Jesus for who he really is, then you've yet to really enjoy Christmas fully. In fact, you've yet to enjoy your life fully. Our parties, our food, our joy with family and friends, that will be great. But Jesus came for more than that, far more than that, and it can't be contained in a small picture of Christmas. He came to deal with our heart problem. He came to deal with your heart problem so that you can enjoy life with God forever. And so if that's you, this Christmas, where you have not fully understood who this Jesus is, let me encourage you, take time to consider in your heart who this Jesus is. Consider in your heart where you stand before this God and consider God with us. Is that good news for you? Or is that bad news for you? Because if it's to be good news, then there is only one way. And that is you trust in not a plastic Jesus, but you trust in Saviour Jesus who came to save you from your sins. That's what the Christmas story calls us to. It calls us to respond and we'll have a life that is changed forever. And so when we go on to sing our carols, we can sing them not just because they're nice tunes, just because they're wonderful traditions. But we sing it because we believe it. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. We can sing it and believe it. But if you already see Jesus for who he really is, then it's a reminder to us who are Christians. We can't be sucked into this commercialised Christmas where it's just all about overeating and overspending and the focus is really just on me and my joy. But let this Christmas be one where Jesus is the source of that joy. 
Look to him. Let Jesus be the reason for this celebration. He came for us. Let Jesus be the message of our mouth at all these parties, at all these dinners that we'll eat at. I mean, it's a wonderful time of year, isn't it, where we can point people to the only hope in this world for them, the only hope in this world for them. I, I know of two single friends amongst our church family who are very intentional this Christmas. What they'll do is not just go to their family and enjoy that. They are thinking about how might I use this time to use my mouth to proclaim the Christ of Christmas. And so both of them individually, they've invited a group of Christian friends and a group of non-Christian friends so that they can share lunch together so that they can proclaim Christ together to their friends. I mean, that is wonderful. They're taking advantage of this time. Let Christ be the message of our mouth. And of course, let Jesus be the wonder of our heart. How can we ever get over Christmas? How can we ever stop marvelling at what happened at Christmas? Life came and died that we might have life. And let Jesus be the hope of our future. Because we all know that by January and the mundaneness of life comes again, the holidays are over, the partying is over, and it gets boring again, we who are Christians continue to live with great joy and great hope for eternity. And why? Because at Christmas, God did not give us a cute story, but he came and gave us himself. That is Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you remind us once again what happened that Christmas, that Jesus is Emmanuel who came to be with us and that he's also Jesus because he is for us, to save us from our sins. So help us to marvel and to wonder at the glory of what happened that first Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.